Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show today. We are so excited to have Victor Gabriel. Victor realized that water in cornflakes doesn't taste as bad as you think it would. He wandered without a home before eventually ending up in Compton, California. Now, as a black male writer, director, and recent MFA graduate of the AFI Conservatory, he has turned to filmmaking as a way for him to wrestle with his own suffering as well as the suffering of others. This man holds an MA in clinical psychology and has been working as a marriage and family therapist with survivors of trauma in Compton, Watts, and South Central for the past several years. His short film, Black Boys Can't Cry, which is extraordinary, is currently being shown in festivals. His favorite movie is Richard Donner's Superman. He likes red vines and thinks Twizzlers are trash. I have to agree with you on that one. Welcome. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored. I'm super honored. I should just say that off top that from the beginning, Susie and JD are just like, JD, I love JD, obviously, the big homie, the mentor, you know what I'm saying? The God, the God, goddess herself, you feel me? And so, and 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 Susie, you know, Susie's been a blessing in my life for a while now. So I'm just I'm honored to be here. You feel me? So thank you. Well, let, let me start by saying, Vic, you are without a doubt one of my favorite human beings in the world. I I esteem you in the most uh uh, awesome of ways, just trying to make the words big enough, which they aren't. I just have so much respect for you and so much faith in you and what your vision is. And I'm just so glad I get excited when the phone clicks and I find out it's you hitting me up to ask me a question or give me an update. I love it. So I appreciate you. And I'm just blessed to have you in my life, man, for real. So, so I'm going to start with the question. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say, Vic, tell us, um, I know like physically where you came from, but kind of philosophically, where did you come from and why should people know who you are? <laughs> that's a great question. Philosophically, that's a, that's a, um, well, I should say, I should say currently where I am philosophically is I'm a very communal person. So I believe in, I believe in the idea of, um, I am because we are, which is a very like sort of like African psychology sort of thing. Um, I believe in the, I believe in just people being with each other and that sort of we are together, we can sort of break chains together. I'm not really super individualistic. I um not that individuals individualism isn't good or isn't helpful to some extent, but I am more of a collectivist in that way. I on a personal level, which is like an individual level, I think that I am here because of the people who like brought me here. You know, I am I've been on the street with my mother when I was a little baby, little kid. People have taken me in. People have provided for me. People are not blood. You know what I'm saying? A lot of black women, a couple white women, you know what I'm saying? Susie included, bought me a computer. 
helped her and her husband like didn't buy me a computer, but gave like get, gift me with the computer my first year of film school. Like just people who've let me live with them, let me stay with them. And like I owe a lot of my existence to them. So I believe in like the people who have helped you and got you to where you're at. That is why you're here. That's why I'm here. And I hope to like, you know, make those people proud and do the same thing. I think I, I feel the same way when I'm in therapy or when I'm writing screenplays and directing. I think it's the same thing is that it's human beings I'm trying to connect with. And it's where we intersect spiritually, mentally, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's perfect. And tell us, why do you, I know why people should know who you are. I already have the answer to this. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I'm sure Susie does as well. But I'd like you to tell us why you think people know who you are. I missed the question. I mean, yeah, I forgot that last part. Why should people know who I am? Mm-hmm. Man, this is, yeah, I know, crazy. Um, should, well, mostly, mostly because I think that the voice I have is very, I think the voice I have is very unique to myself. And the voice I have is, is about, I think, the hopeless and the suffering. I think it's a combination of what are the things that I'm going through? What are things that my people are going through? And in terms of artistically, in terms of artistically first before I go to therapy, in terms of artistically, it's how do I tell stories entertaining wise, but how do I tell stories in a unique fashion that kind of that comes from my guts in a way that's like it deals with the suffering and trauma of people on a deep, deep level. And a lot of that does come from me being a therapist in terms of my understanding of therapy and psychotherapy and, you know, like I said, African African psychology concepts with some union um, concepts, some psychodynamic. And I think that is probably the most different. It's not too many black male ride directors, Compton, California, as well as who are therapists, like marriage or family therapists. That's pretty that's pretty unique in and of itself. And and in therapy, it's the same thing. I think I walk and be a therapist. When I'm a therapist, no one knows that I'm a therapist. No one assumes I am a therapist. <laughs> so I don't swagger like like a therapist I don't I have my own way that I am you know and so I think even in that realm if people are like who's this guy you know like what he's a therapist nah he's not no therapist I'm like <laughs> surprise <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> like surprise I am you know what I'm saying <laughs> so and in both ways I think even when I was at AFI like it was the same thing people are sort of surprised at my level of either intelligence or emotional intelligence or how I'm picking things up. And I think that happens sometimes to black males. I think that black people in general, black, for me particularly as a black man, I think they, it's assumed I should probably be a bit more, maybe put together. And I'm not very put together, honestly. And I'm not very put together. I think I tried to be put together and didn't really work out too well. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I love the yeah. fact that you have a sense of humor about it. I think that's super important. I think people should know who you are. I'm going to let Susie get in on this real quick, but I think people should know who you are because you do have a high level of emotional intelligence and that's what's missing in in the entertainment realm. I think there's a lot of ego and a lot of cerebral thought process that goes into production and the emotion is lost. And I think that that's what you would bring to the plate is this emotional intelligence that doesn't just write uh, thoughtful plays, but, yeah. you know, uh, and present with shorts that are well thought out, but also emotionally connected. And and for the yeah. community, because we are collective, that is really important. Susie, why do you think people should know who Vic is? Uh, I think Vic is magic. Um, <laughs> I, I think that you sort of defy all of the odds and that you are nothing short of just courageous 
and filled with wisdom that comes from your own personal experience. And I had the pleasure of being in grad school with Victor Gabriel. And I know how wise he is above his years. And I'm so excited for the storytelling that is laying upon you in your career, which brings us to this film that JD and I saw, and we were both really blown away. We, we couldn't wait to have you on. So, so the question I want to ask you is, um, <laughs> what did you want to convey in the film? Because everybody's going to walk away with their own interpretation. I'm really curious about what, for sure. what was the message you wanted to send? Yeah, I think for me, on a basic, basic level, it's not unlike what happens in a session, like when things are not working out. Like you sort of go back to like a baseline of like, I just, I just want to connect, right? I just want to be a witness to someone suffering and I just want to connect on a deep level. And if I can do that, if you and me can be here together in this moment and be present with each other just for a little bit, you know, like no matter the intervention, no matter what you're doing, I probably don't know how to heal your suffering. You think I can heal your suffering. I, some, my ego probably tells me, yes, I can. I'm coming here to save the day. And I'm like, oh, but I can't really. And so now I probably feel a bit like insecure about my inability to do that, which happens in writing and directing, almost exactly the same. So for me, what helped me in therapy is to go back down to a baseline of connecting and witnessing and emoting with someone and mirroring someone, which for me was on a base level, that's all I wanted to convey, that this this man was in pain and he was suffering and you could feel it. And if you left away with that, like for me, mission accomplished. For me, goal accomplished. Now there's tons of other yeah. things, little other big emotions, other little odds and ends that I was thinking about. But macro level, it was connecting with this man and empathizing with suffering in a deep way. You know what I'm saying? You humanize the black male. And that is so what's needed right now in this country because we've been, you know, black people and black males have been, uh, and Black females as well, I'll just say us as a group, have been villainized, demonized. And so what I felt this brought to it was a real sense of, of humanizing uh, a person from in, on the deepest level. So that brings me to my next question, which is, let's talk about Black men in America yeah. today at this time. Dun, 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 <laughs> What's your perspective? Yeah, exactly. You knew I was going there, man. You know, J.D., I've called you about this when I've been frustrated. Just full disclosure, I've called J.D. when I've been like in in an infantile rage about like how and J.D.'s so gracious to like let me sort of rant and rave about my anger about which, you know, it's not unlike writing to you like a mentor or your parent about why don't they like me? Why do they keep treating me like this? Right. Which is what I was doing. And I felt that black men. More recently, my anger has been my rage. This is not my sort of like wise mind, I would say. It's sort of just my anger and rage, which is I'm not being seen. I'm not being acknowledged. I'm being like sort of looked over by everybody. This is just my rage. No, just this isn't it. me like being no. like, yeah. So even feeling from black woman on some level that they weren't like understanding me or they didn't want to like listen to what we were going through. And I felt very exhausted and weary. And I think that it started to build start to build, you know, that's my first thought. I feel like I would throw tantrums to some extent, whether it's intellectually, intellectual tantrums about it. I think your hand was on the pulse on what's going on between Black men and women. I don't think it was, 
I don't think it was random. I don't think it was incorrect. I think it was really very real. So tell me, tell me what's your takeaway? Where are you with that now? Yeah, actually, I agree with you. Like I think it's something, something about being like a deeply empathic person. And I do feel if I have any gifts, I would say I, there is something which I sense in myself, which is I can sort of connect to like the um, collective conscious to some extent and what the, and what some people, what groups are feeling on a deeper level, not what they're saying, but what they're not saying. And black men, there's a bunch of things that they're not saying. There's a bunch of things that they're not saying. And I think my takeaway was that on some level, I'll just talk about black women right now. On some level, it's difficult for black women to acknowledge us because of the destruction that black men have like maybe wrecked in the home. There's no denying some of the violence, domestic mm-hmm. violence, even on the streets with human trafficking, pimps, et cetera. Like there's no denying that black men have to account for how we have treated some of our black women. And I think it can be difficult to be like, the reality is that there is something that I deal with that no one else deals with, including black women. And that's what frustrates me. Cause I feel like that doesn't get seen. It feels like everybody gets to be like, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with because I'm this. This is what I'm dealing with because I'm this. This is what I'm dealing with because I'm this. And then I feel like I'm not allowed to say that, but that's the, the statistics point them out. Like the incarceration rates, police brutality, though they, they affect all Black people, they disproportionately affect Black men, right? Higher education, not a lot of Black higher education. Unemployment right now is bad. Like all the things which are specifically like black men, even diagnosis, diagnosis in high schools and schools and boys getting treated with ODD, you know, like all these things are specific to black men. I don't feel get recognized, but I do feel when we get killed, we sort of get used as a prop for protests and, but then nothing happens, but then nothing happens. And I love protests as we should protest. Let me be very clear. As we should protest. There is a performance angle I get frustrated with. It just feel like performance, not real justice. So that's, but that's still, that's still part of my, a little yeah. bit of my, I want you to see me. And yeah. I think there's some justice in that. I think there's something to that. What I'm, in terms of today, what I've left with, even since last we spoke, was I, I was in a conversation with a director, a white female director, and she was just talking about what she does, which is a lot of feminist things, but she has her critique about feminism. And she said something to me just randomly, which she was just talking, and I was just like, oh, whatever. And then she was like, Man, man, da, 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 da. the goal is not to win. And I don't get it. And I had to stop her. And I said, whoa, 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 back up, back up, back up, back up. What'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? And she was saying, the goal is not to win. And I had to like stop and sit with it because I got hit with the, this happened like last week, JD, Susie. Okay. And I was like, that's, that's exactly what's the, that's exactly like what my soul is like searching for in all this anger and frustration and justifiable anger was like, that's what it is. Like, I'm not trying to win. And on some level, I have been trying to win. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I have been trying to win. You and I have been been knocking this round. You know, the whole idea yeah. is that and Paulo Ferrer, you know, summed it up the best where, yep. you know, oppressed populations are like fighting over a crumb and trying to win something that none of us want to win. Like nobody wants to win that they have it the worst in the country. Nobody wants to win that. But yet we continue to fight over that crumb for who has it the worst or who's better than the other because that is what oppression has taught us to do. That's what racism, white supremacy has taught us to do. And unfortunately, it has turned Black men and women on opposite sides of each other 
because it's difficult to have it's a conversation. Worse. Yeah, difficult to have a conversation about deep healing when deep when you're trying to heal from deep wounds. It's very difficult. So, where yeah. do, so where do we go from yes. here, Nick? How do, where yes. do where do we go from here with this with black women and men? Wait, can I ask? Yeah, yeah go ahead, Suze. Okay, because I'm sorry, Vic. I just want to sort of, as a white woman, I want to stop there for a second because I remember when JD introduced that idea to our little cohort in grad school about the fighting over a crumb. What is it that you think, Vic, white people need to know about that, that they don't? What do I think white people need to know about the crumb? difficult because it's such a because i would argue i'm not sure when speaking to black people we understand that we're actually engaging in fighting for Ah, to be honest with you i don't we'd have to first recognize on some level that we are engaging and fight for the worst and i agree with jd about bringing up paulo friere what she talks about like taking on the characteristics of the oppressor i don't think we see the way in which we have taken on oppressive tactics because they come off like justice. It takes the facade of justice. And I realized, oh, that's not actually justice, but it looks like justice because I'm saying, this is what happened to me, so therefore you must do this. And I think now I realize that when I am forcing, not I wanna say forcing, because this is where it gets tricky, because white people do need to hear me, everyone needs to hear us, Every group needs to hear each other. And you and some so basically I would say sometimes white people need to shut the fuck up, right? <laughs> sometimes like, so sometimes white people need to shut the fuck up, right? But or how and and I also feel like there's space to engage in conversation, but I think the nuance is difficult. The nuance is difficult. I don't know what you think about that, JD. And I will say that is something I'm still thinking about. Because it, yeah. it's a tricky area which I'm still no, I, like I, trying to process. Look, I, I think another part of that is I don't, you know, I don't, and I'll speak uh, in general terms. I don't think black people want white people to know what we're struggling with because you're only going to use it against us. Mm. And that's the fear. So it's like we want to go into a quiet corner and do this healing so that we're not so vulnerable that you see us and use it against us because that's exactly what's been done in society in terms of black men and black women. So it's a tricky, it's, it is tricky. I agree with you completely. And it's something that we need to talk a lot more about. And I'm hoping to have that on the show. Just that, just that conversation yeah. with black men and women. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cause I think like my, here's my reality with white people and I'm, I'm more now, particularly after being an AFI, AFI has shown me some things, which is white supremacy in the system. White supremacy is sociopathic. You know what I'm saying? And it's, needs to be like dismantled, de- destroyed. And there are white people who love me dearly and I love them back, right? And that's the truth. And that's yeah. the truth, right? There are white people who love me dearly and I love them dearly. And I don't mind engaging in conversations and being with them in our relationship, right? So for me, it's like system, not individuals. However, the system does disseminate um, certain like subconscious ideas. Mm-hmm which I do think my friends, white, white people who I love, my white family, my white brothers and sisters need to like figure out, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, really. But I'm less now against the idea like white people just need to shut up, period. I'm more like, you just need to shut up sometimes. And then I think there's space to talk other times. I think that there's like this, like balance, there's like this balance 
And I feel like we're sort of caught in a trauma cycle with each other, That's at right. least black men and black women. I think there's white women too. I think there's this trauma cycle happening. And so we're, it's difficult for us to see nuance and we're stuck in binary monochromatic way of looking at each other. Mm-hmm. Like it's this or it's that, yeah. you know, I feel like definitely with black women I talk with them. It's like, Am I allowed to bring a critique? Right. Am I allowed to bring some feedback for it? Yeah. You know, and it's like, no. And I'm like, but yeah, I do have something to say. And there's something that you're not seeing. And I feel like then I, I slip back into fighting with them. You don't see this. This happens to black men and not to you. And I have to like bring up these things to like establish my say, like this happens to me, doesn't happen to you. You have no, no experience about what it means to be a black male when I walk the streets and police pull me over. What you feel as a black woman, when police pull you over, is not what I feel. Let me tell you something. You know what I'm saying? When we go into the por- when we go into the corporate offices and me and you are speaking, if you get mad, as angry black woman, which is, of course, if you get mad, you might get really mad. They might say something to you. They might actually call the police on me if I get mad. Like I'm dark skinned and I'm a big guy. There's no sort of there's no sort of just angry black men trope happening. It's angry black men and we're calling the police. I see what happens when I walk in and people tense up. Like, I see that. I see people tense up. I see people look. I see it happens all the time, man. So, and I think that's so so specific to maleness when it, in, in relation to being Black. It's so specific to maleness. And I just want that acknowledged. But my problem is when I do that, now I'm back in that I'm fighting to win. Like, I'm fighting to win. Like, I'm, I'm trying to win. It's not that simple in our situation. You know, yes, True. you don't want to get into that dichotomous thinking and you don't want to get into uh, what that means, which is I have to be right in order for you to be wrong. I think what has to happen right. on a deeper level is that we both have to be hurt. We both have to be in pain. We both have to acknowledge yeah. and heal together. That's what I'm hoping happens in the near future. And, and speaking of, because that has a huge mental health impact on the community. And, and so speaking of mental health, how, how do you think your mental health lens informs your creative lens? Yeah, I think it's the basis for a lot of it. I think I didn't have a lot of experience. I didn't have any Hollywood experience when I came to AFI. Everybody had like years of it. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have a lot of writing experience. I didn't have a lot of whatever. It just was. And I mean, Susie remembers because I was talking with her about it when I was applying. Um, or, But I didn't have a lot of anything. I just was like, well, I want to do this because I want to create and I had stopped creating. But it was clear when I got there and I started that there was something extra I had that no one else has. There was something extra that I had that almost like expedited my creative skill set. Like, whereas I was like, they were here. I was here when we first started. Like in a month's time, I was here. And then like three months later, I was here. That's not a good. That's not. A, that's not a good way to. That's not a good way to illustrate it. Because I don't think arts like that does not like. No, but it makes sense. Or worse, actually. I'm, yeah, I'm more mean. I was more in tune with my voice earlier. That I think where a lot of my other classmates needed a lot more time to figure out like what their voice was. Not necessarily their skill set, but their voice and who they were and what they wanted to talk about. I sort of came in like loaded, locked and loaded in terms of things I wanted to talk about and like what was in my soul. And I was able to risk in ways that other people struggled with. Like I would risk conversation, like black boys can't cry. 
Yeah. He's basically, he's remembering him. He, he remembers himself being sexually assaulted. Right. No one else in the school would have made us, would, would have done something like that. Not one, not one person. Not one person in the school would have, would have done something like that. Except for like my homie come, by the way, he's a, he's like, a, he's like a Mexican immigrant. Besides him, besides my homie, my Mexican brother, who's an immigrant, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or English is a second language. Who's, he's also experienced a lot of traumatic incidences. Most of the people would not have, 90% wouldn't have done something like that. It would have been too much. would have been too much. would have been too like, whoa, we're not going to touch that. Whereas I was like, this is what's around me. This is what's around me. This is what I'm hearing in my black male group, which I run. It's if not half or more, which is astounding. 80% of the men in my group have, have been a survivor, like some sort of sexual molestation or assault. Like 80%. I promise you, it's it's astounding. Not something I even thought about. I want you to publicize your group before you finish that thought, or after you finish that thought, rather. Oh yeah, I'll do it quick. I I facilitate a black male and trauma group. Right now, it's on Zoom. It's every other Saturday. I usually like post online. We have a we have like a pretty solid number of guys that come, but it's open. It's open to everybody. It's open to everybody. Whoever can come when they want to come. By all means, you know, we have a solid group of guys that come, though, consistently. What's the email? And uh, in that group, hit, you up on? hit me at my email, victor.k.gabriel, V-I-C-T-O-R dot K dot G-A-B-R-I-E-L at gmail.com. Or you can hit me on IG, where kings reign, and it's exactly how it's spelled. And you can just hit me there, like DM me there. Um Awesome. Which is what people have done. That's how they found you. That's awesome. Susie. You had a That's awesome. Yeah. And you know what? We can post that on the site. Um, so we'll do that. Vic, you sure. know, as you're speaking, I'm remembering being in class with you and I'm remembering specifically a night where you were telling a story in school and it was so profound and so transparent and you and I just connected, right? We were both sort of like fish out of water for different reasons. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering right. for you, and you know, my background is I did the reverse. So I did Hollywood first, then then therapy. You did therapy first, then <laughs> right. But it's all connected. What was what? One hundred percent. Right. So what were the whispers when you were in grad school that took you from being in school? Probably everyone's trajectory is like, I'm going to get licensed and go into private practice, but you went a different way. What, what was it that took you to where you are now? I would say first, when I graduated from therapy school with you guys, um, I was depressed, man. Like graduation day, I was depressed. I didn't even invite anybody to graduation. Honestly, I, might, I made a post about it and that was it. Like, I know that's wild. In hindsight, that's crazy. Like, not friends, no family, nobody even was like, Vic, you're done with school. <laughs> they knew what they found out on Facebook or social media. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't invite anybody. Like, I woke up one, I woke up, I wasn't even gonna show up. I woke up, got some Jordans on, got my, like, got some khaki shorts and just pulled up to the graduation and they had an extra suit and I walked. And it was cool for me. Like, but I was sad, I was depressed because I wasn't creating. And I'd always been a creator even before therapy. And that was the big thing, that I wasn't creating. And then when I started doing my therapy jobs, it was just nagging at me about not being able to create. It was just like, kept hitting me in my head. I was like, Argh. 
And then I, I lost a job. Uh, one, one, one of my jobs I lost. And I was like, yeah, Vic, it's not working. Like, you got to do something else. Not something else, but you have to holistically be a holistic person. So for me, being able to do therapy and also create is what I need to be doing. Like, I need to be having both happening. I need to be able to do, like, they can't exist without each other. I can't just be creating and not be in the community and work and help you healing. And I can't just be being a therapist and not creating and not creating. So for me, they sort of have to coexist if I'm being honest with who I am and like my voice and like my purpose, yeah. you know? So that, I, I don't know if that answers your question. That's sort of what like pushed me to like, I need to do something yeah. else. No, it totally does. Now, let me ask you the other question, which is given how white Hollywood is, yeah. How, right? I mean, we we had someone on who's a manager in Hollywood, an African-American manager, and we talked about diversity in Hollywood and how hard it is. What's your plan to break through that? Or have you even come up against it already? Well, of course. I mean, um, I I say, of course, I don't know, man. This is where I don't, I don't have a lot of answers because I don't know. I'm still yeah, so right. starting out. Like, for instance, I have an agent now. Right, and he's of an agent now, which is dope, super dope. Wow. I have an agent. And That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you. No, yes, our praises do. You know what I'm saying? Like God bless. I'm grateful. But he's a, he's a white man, and it's a weird space. Not weird space because he's good. He's a like nice guy, but it's weird space because I'm new. He's an older white man. It's difficult to break in. You sort of get who you get sometimes. But people say Vic. Don't do that. My, my teacher would tell me, like, don't do that. Don't just get the first person who comes along. Okay. So given all the limitations in Hollywood and how white it is, what's your plan for breaking through? Um, like I said, I have an agent, which has been really dope. And he is white, white man. And that has been good. But it's my it's my fear of, like, I don't know what what's going to happen. Like, does he really like myself? Which he does. But it's me trying to figure out the odds and ends and my voice. I think sometimes there is a performance to liking Black voices right now. So like, oh, we like this, but then I don't know, do you really like it? Or is it right. the flavor of the month? So I think that's, so it's difficult to figure out. I don't have clear answers, to be honest with you. I don't have clear answers other than do the work. That's what I, that's like, do the work. Like, try my best to do my stories. Well, I think that's actually, that is the answer, to not do the work, work hard, and and show up for everything you can. So I just wanted to confirm that, you know, to affirm that you are on the right track. Go ahead, Susan. And also keep your message, your message. Very specific. Very specific. My last question is, what inspires you creatively? Right. And creatively, I would say, Cause right now I'm actually prepping to shoot a short, like basically in my backyard. <laughs> like, wow. yeah, like, yeah. Like in January in my neighbor's backyard and my backyard and front yard. So both of our houses, I'm planning to shoot a short. So right now just being inspired by the city and then like children and myself and the things that other black kids have went through and just like what my group has went through. The, the black men in my group but they've went through what black women have went through and just being inspired by overcoming suffering which is like a theme of my 
in my writing? Like, how does one overcome suffering? It's like a constant question I'm asking myself. Like, can one overcome suffering? And if they can, how do they do it? How does that happen? Sidebar, if you guys know anybody who's like, I need I need money for the for the shorts. So if you go, if you know an organization or somebody, you can I need like a lot of money. <laughs> Putting it out there. So by the time this hits the uh, air, that's important. Yeah. My, yep. my producer hit me the other day, say, Vic, this is gonna cost quite a bit of money, even though it's in your backyard. And I was like, man, I don't have that money. So, but I'm believing that's gonna it's gonna be there. So yeah. And then to what we mean JD kind of talked about, which is you know, the people who've loved me and just sitting in that, even though it's and it's been difficult to sit in it, but sitting in that reality. And that's been super powerful for me. Look, I am so thrilled that you are allowing the love to come in that we all have for you. You're deserving. And um, I just want you to know, we really appreciate you being so quick to say, come on, want to talk about this film. I think it's important for people to know what you're up to and you being willing to do it. Really, really appreciate it. So happy to have you here today. My final question is, um, if you could do one thing to change the world, what would it be? Uh, abolish poverty. Nice. 100%. And I think to riff a little bit, I, I want us more to be invested, I think, in our new justice movement about poverty. Like, and I just feel like it's been, it's been sort of overlooked. And that sort of goes deeper to like and analyzing critically, like being critical about privilege and also being critical about our racial justice movement and who it benefits, which to me currently, it feels like it benefits academia. <laughs> like, and I think there's professional class and high, higher educated class that this like it benefits more. So yeah. I think that people in the projects, I think people who are really poor on the street are like, they don't know what a BIPOC is. They don't know what you're talking about. I don't mind it. Like you and me could talk about it, but I have a master's degree. You know what I'm saying? But I also live in Compton and I'm telling you, that my Mexican homie doesn't know what Latinx means. Like, what are you talking about? Right. You know what I'm saying? So the conversations tend to benefit sometimes people who are, acad- who are more academic, who are making a yep. lot more money to Black people on CNN and MSNBC, which is fine. I love them. Those are my brothers and sisters. I'm just saying, like, let's make sure that the most vulnerable of us are being I taken agree. care of. You know what I'm saying? And that's, for yeah. poor, and that's for poor people all over the place, too. That's for any race. Yeah. You know, that's for all races. Yeah. Like, I just feel like we got to do better about the poor. You know what I'm saying? They're, gonna, they're doing bad right now during pandemic. This holiday season is bad news for them. So, like, my heart goes out to them when I see them on the streets and the homeless. And, and like, I just passed by my lady by my crib who just basically walk around in a bikini, talking to herself, taking her clothes off, stripping, dressing. Like, that breaks my heart, man. And no amount of I won't get into it though, but just no, no, no amount of posturing in the streets to some extent is helping her. I want to help her, man. I want to help her. Like, I don't know. No, you, you do know. And you're absolutely on point with that. You and I have talked about that. You know, black lives won't matter until there's equity. Yeah. You know, uh, so we can say, you know, please stop killing us, but that's only part of the problem. Yeah. The other part of the problem is, you know, that people have health care and that the poverty has yeah. been. Um, just demolished altogether because that's a part of the system that oppresses. So I'm, I'm I'm right there with you. I know Susie supports what you're saying as well. Yeah, Susie, you want to uh, tell Vic how much you appreciate him being here? Because I know you do. Uh, Vic, I am. You know, I am so. I don't. I don't even have words. I'm oh, so man. inspired. I'm so inspired, and I'm so excited for your journey. And you know that I'm holding your hand, Thank and you. that there is. 
anything I can do, then I will be there and do it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have to take that hand. If you offering, if you offering, I'll take all hands, all hands on deck, man. All right, listen, I'm gonna receive this season. One more thing, uh, don't forget about us, okay? Of course not, man. Listen, <laughs> that's the good thing. That's the only good thing about being a little bit older and being in my 30s when this is happening is I have a lot more, I don't know, understanding of my failings than I did when I was like in my 20s. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Of course. We all do. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for, for coming out today. We appreciate you, man. Thank you. So much. All right. Bang. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.